it's on, but is this okay? Do I, I sound funny? Do I sound funny out there? That's how you always sound. So, thank you. This is what I put up with, with Wilson. Uh, I love Wilson. I didn't always love Wilson. Uh, when he first came to the church, you know, we needed a children's ministry person badly. I mean, we really needed someone to work with our kids. We had all these kids. And uh, I was trying to hire a children's ministry person, and then in walks Wilson, right? And he said, this is our, our new hire. He works with college and young adults. And I said, what about the kids? Like, I don't need Wilson. I want a children's person. I want Nina, you know? But Nina was working in another church at that time, and she wasn't, she wasn't available. So I had to put up with Wilson. And, uh, but, but here's the thing. Maybe some of you know this. Wilson has a woo factor. All right, he's able to come in and just woo you, right? And uh, he did that. He wooed me, and now I love him. I love the man, and I'm happy to be here with you guys. So thank you. Thanks for letting me come, be a part of this. I was, I was really excited because I know you guys are in, in Romans, and my favorite chapter is Romans 8, and I was so excited that I might be able to preach from Romans 8, and then Wilson told me they finished it last week. So I get Romans 9. Like, serious? I think I texted you back. I'm like, seriously? And that's all I said. You know, because Romans 8 so fun. So many great verses in there. Like, it starts with this no condemnation. You're not condemned. And then it, it, it talks about all these great things, and then it ends with, the, and there's no separation. Like, God loves you so much. You're not condemned, and there's nothing that can separate you. And you look at Romans 9, and it starts with anguish and sorrow. And it ends with offense and shame. So um, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, bud. That's cool. Nice of you. And, and if that's not enough, you invited me on like the spring forward day, all right, where I get even less sleep. So you could sleep in. So I'm remembering this. But dude, I, I love you. And I'm happy to be here. So, so here we are in Romans. And we're... we're uh, you kind of had just talked about being in, in uh, Romans 8 with just this pa wonderful passage. And I know it's been a few weeks since you started it, so let me just kind of refresh some of the highlights of this. Like it says in 8.1, there's no, now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Like if you're in Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. There's no shame, right? You're, you're all good. You're good. You have a perfect standing with, with God. He, he loves you. And, and, and he talks about he dwells in you, right? He dwells in you, that you have the spirit living within you. That's fantastic. He talks about you're adopted as, as God's children, right? You're brothers with Christ. Like, how wonderful is that? He talks about the sufferings. You know, you're suffering now, but heaven is going to overwhelm that. It's going to make it so worth it. you got the spirit who helps you in weakness. And then it says in 28 this, that all things work together for good for those who know the Lord, right? So all things are working together, so many great things, and that's only the first half of it. And then you have this other half that just talks about who is there to condemn. Nobody will condemn you because you, and then nobody can condemn you. Nobody can separate you from God's love. It's so rich, and there's this wonderful passage in, in verse 35. But then it ends in verse 37 saying, if that's not enough, you're a conqueror with God. You are a super conqueror. Like, you've got such power living within you. So you have all these wonderful things, and all of that sets the context for Romans 9 as we get in, into this passage. One of my observations is that as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your faith, you, 
you tend to say and do some, some crazy things, right? In this passage today, Paul says some crazy things. He, he, he's reflecting on what he just wrote about the love that, that God has for us. But then he starts thinking about those who do not know that love. Those who are lost, those people who, who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore they are condemned and they are separated from God. And so on reflecting on all that, he, he says, would it be possible if I could give my faith, my spot in heaven, my salvation, to those who do not know Christ? That's crazy. I mean, really, when you think about that. Here's Paul, who has a place in heaven, the spot reserved for him, where there's no suffering, no sorrows. And he says, I would give that up for those who did not know Jesus. Have you ever thought something like that? I mean, take a, take a moment. Just think about the people in your life, the people that you see regularly, that you run into different places. When you go get your coffee in the morning at your favorite coffee shop and there's that barista who knows your name, right? Think about maybe your favorite restaurant that you go to and there's that server that you see frequently or at the grocery store, the person who's bagging your groceries. Like those people that you see, you don't know a lot about them, but you, you kind of like them. Maybe you're on a volleyball team or a basketball team and you just play, play on the weekends and there's you know, kind of the, the regulars that you play with. Maybe there's a professor or other students or coworkers, a manager that you, you see frequently. Think about those people in your life. Would you exchange your salvation so they could have it? Give away everything for them? Paul is a guy whose life has been changed, radically transformed by the gospel. And because of that, he's saying these crazy things. So we want to look at Romans 2, see what some of the crazy things are, and see how they apply to our lives today. But beware. Beware if you grow in your faith, you may say some of these crazy things too, right? Let's look at, at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We'll see that this, this transformed heart, this crazy transformed heart is going to say wild things. You're going to end up doing, saying, and feeling crazy things. Here's what he says in verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. But I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Okay, we'll stop there real quick. Uh, this is just a lot of words for saying my heart aches. I have a heavy heart. He repeats himself several times. This is like the New Testament version of using all capitals, underlining, italics, highlighting, right? You know, when you pull out all the stops on your Word document to really enforce what you want to say. This is what Paul is saying. Listen to the, the way he repeats himself. He says, I'm speaking the truth. I'm not lying. Okay? Then he says, I'm speaking this in Christ. He's like, the Holy Spirit bears witness. He's saying, I'm... I'm, this is coming from my conscience, from deep within me. And then he says, I'm speaking from my heart. And lastly, he says, I have great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish. Okay? 
here's a guy that has spent time with the Lord. He has spent so much time with the Lord. The Lord has been working in his heart throughout his life. By the time he's writing this, he's kind of later in his life. He's already had so many experiences. He's gone through so much suffering and pain. He's been beaten and jailed and all this kind of stuff. He's experienced so much, but God has been working in his life. And here he is at this point where he's, he's feeling this great love and joy that he just wrote about in Romans 8, this excitement for the future, the special place that he has in God's heart. The joy that he feels is now countered with this deep anguish and pain that is pressing in on him, pressing in on his heart. See, God has been working in his life. Throughout all this time that, that Paul has been sitting before the Lord, sitting and meditating on him in, in, in prayer and, and just in relationship with him, this whole time the Lord has been shaping his heart. I just think of like a, a surfboard shaper. I've known a few in my life, and, I, and I'm always amazed that they just have this, this block, and they just shape it little by little cleaning it off little by little and shaping it until they have this surfboard that just totally doesn't even look like how it started. And it's used for a specific purpose, just to bring joy to people's lives, right? And I just think how God has been doing that in Paul's life and just shaping him along the way until he's at this, this place. And he's got his whole heart. And I think about myself and I think about us and I think about how have we been shaped by God? How have you been shaped this week? See, I, I know that as much as God wants to shape our lives, the world wants to shape your life too. And there's this constant battle. You guys feel this? You guys know that battle that you experience week in and week out of just this this desiring to be shaped by God. We come here on Sunday morning, we start our week, and we're singing the worship songs, and we hear Pastor Wilson's wonderful messages, and we're, we're just, we, we want everything that he's talking about. We want our lives to be changed and shaped by God, but yet Monday comes and Tuesday and Wednesday, and the world just kind of has its way with us and putting its fingers in our lives and shaping us in a different way, and we struggle. And we sometimes wonder, like, why? Why do I struggle with this? Why do I not hear God's voice? Why is it so hard to struggle with sin? Why, are, why is it so hard to walk the Christian life? It's because of this war. We can be intentionally shaped by God, or we can be unintentionally shaped by the world. Yeah. To be shaped by God, we have to be very intentional. And we have to go through great lengths or else the world will continue to shape us and shape us through what we see on TV, what we hear on the radio, what we see on the computer, what we, what we fill our minds with, the good and the bad, all that kind of stuff, right? All these things shape us. And if we are not careful, the world will have more of a mark on us than Christ. As Christians... Yes, there's no condemnation. Yes, we've been saved. And yes, we have God's love. But we still have to, to work hard, to be intentional about how we're shaped. We talk about your quiet times, you know, devotional times, right? What's the point 
How, what's the tipping point in, in, in spending time with God when, when you really feel God working in your life? You know, you have this week where you really spent a lot of time. You're really diligent about your quiet times, right? You spent time in prayer. You spent time reading the Bible. You, 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 you put some worship songs on, and you really just soaked it in, and you just got into it. And you just, by the end of the week, you just said, that was a good week. Like, God was really working in my life. I feel stronger. I feel like sin didn't have its clutches on me. I felt like I had some victory. I felt the Spirit working in my life. Like, what did that week look like for you? For me, personally, what I've experienced is if I spend, I want to say, like, three hours or so a week, not a day, <laughs> but a week, right, Three hours away, so maybe like, you know, 30, 40 minutes a day, or maybe just, you know, three days where I just spend like an hour just really in God's word and just sitting and listening. And, and by the way, I don't spend an hour just reading. I, I can't do that. I'm too ADD for that. But like, you know, 10 minutes in the word, and I maybe looking at the commentary, something for 10 minutes, and 10 minutes just letting the Lord speak to me, and 10 minutes actually praying, and 10 minutes um, maybe reading a Christian book or listening to a song. Like, you know, for me, that's what it, but if I can do that for like roughly three hours a week, like I feel like I have power. I feel like the Lord has really been shaping me and working in my life, and that's when I feel like, like I can really make a difference in this world, right? It may not be the same for you. It might be more. It might be less, but we've got to be intentional, about this. I'm a sport fan. I like baseball, right? I'm cool with the other sports too, but baseball is my thing. So watching the World Classic, like there's nothing else on, so I watched that last night. It was kind of fun. But um, can you just imagine, you know, whether it's a basketball, football, baseball, or whatever it is, someone who wants to start, you know, wants to be that starting pitcher or the starting quarterback, but yet never practices, you know, they don't show up to the practices. They just show up to the game and they suit up and they're like, Coach, put me in. I'm not going to put you in. You haven't done anything this week. You haven't showed up to practice or anything. Well, you, he would, there's no way he would start because he hasn't put in time. And I think for us as Christians, we think, okay, because we've been saved and all that, now we just kind of we show up on Sunday morning and we just go through life and we're good. Well, we're saved and God loves us, that's for sure, but... How are we being shaped by him? How is our heart being transformed? We've got to put in the time. I know time is tough and all that, but can we be intentionally shaped by God's word? When we do, we're going to do and say crazy things. It's exciting to me. That's exciting. There was a, a few years ago, no, probably like 10 years ago, I was struggling because here I am a pastor, but I, like, I looked at my friends and my networks, and I didn't have any friends that were not Christians. The, all my friends were Christians. All right, I'm at a church, so, you know, a lot of Christians in church. Um, I went to Biola, I went to Talbot, so all my college kind of friends are all Christians. Um, I, uh, my family, for the most part, is all Christian. Then, um, you know, we moved a lot during this time. You know, we were renting a house for a year and then, you know, moving, all that kind of stuff. And I kid you not, every time we moved, there were, like, more Christians as our next-door neighbors. You know, we'd bring over, like, cookies, like, trying to introduce ourselves and, like, oh, we go to this church, we go to that church. 
Chuck Swindoll's my grandson, or, you know, whatever. Like, it was just all this stuff, like, honestly. Um, and um, I was just, like, frustrated. I'm like, I've got to get out there. And so I thought about, like, even previous to that, the one time that I really had, like, a lot of non-Christians in my life, I, was, I worked at Armani doing those window displays, you know, the dress, you know, all those displays and dressing up the mannequins and all that. When, so I did that over at South Coast Plaza, and I actually had, like, a lot of non-Christian friends, and it was so exciting because you're working, and you just start talking about stuff, and you talk about your faith and beliefs and all that. And so about 10 years ago, I said, I, I got to get back in that. I got to get a job at the mall or something. So I'm just thinking, like, I'll get a part-time, you know, a few hours a week at the mall or maybe Starbucks or something like that. That's what I was thinking, but God had other plans. I show up at staff meeting, and Pastor Ray says, I got this great idea for evangelism. I'm like, yeah, sweet, what is it? He's like, we're all going to get jobs, you know, outside the church. I'm like, that's sweet. He's like, I brought in an army and an Air Force recruiter, and we're going to all be chaplains in the Air Force. I'm like, what? Like, that's so random. Seriously, seriously, we had staff meeting, and we had two recruiters at our staff meeting, army and Air Force, and they're trying to, you know, pull us in. Well, okay, fast forward. None of the other pastors did it, but I did. You know? I got this. I got it. I think we're good, right? Okay? All right. So I did it. I said, all right, I'll, I'll jump in here. And that's one of the guys I get to work with. You guys recognize him? Yeah, well, Paul Kim. He, he's an Army chaplain. I'm Air Force. Um, so I, I like to think that I'm a lot better than him, but, um, but I, no, I love that. And, and that was at one of our chapel meetings in San Luis Obispo, but, um, but this is what I got to do. It, the first, my f- very first day on the job, like I am brand new. I don't know anything. Uh, I, I'm still like, I, when I would my wife always laughs at this because I was practicing my saluting before I got there. And I would like flinch, you know, when I salute. And she just laughs at that. And um, that's kind of where I was. My uniform was like barely had my rank sewn on and it's still real crisp and all that. So I'm standing like in the chaplain office my first day. And for some reason, the office is just busy. There's all kinds of people in there. They're trying to get to see the chaplain. And I'm just kind of standing against the wall like, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm uncomfortable. This is weird. And this, this lady walks in. She looks important. She ends up being a lieutenant colonel, and so she, yeah, she is important. And uh, she comes in, and she's, like, kind of frantic, like, looking like this. And she has, like, two people with her. And she's like, I'm looking for a chaplain. And she looks at me, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> you know, she's like, are you a chaplain? I'm like, yeah, but yeah, I'm brand new. I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, well, do you know how to counsel? Can you pray with someone? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. She's like, good, I need you. Come here. So she put me in a little car, and we drove across the base, and she was explaining that just that, just a few minutes before that, somebody on the base just died in a car accident going to Vegas. And that person had a lot of friends, and one of that person's best friends was right working in her office, and she was a wreck, just a wreck. And she's like, I need you to come in here. I need you to, to counsel her. I need you to pray with her, you know? So I did. I jump in here. I start talking with her. I didn't know who she was at all. Her name is Joyce. Now she's a friend. But at the time, I didn't know who she is. And so we're talking and all that. And then I just, I'm sharing the gospel with her. And then I end up praying with her. And there's two of these two other people in the room watching. And as I'm praying, I'm, I kind of like, you know, those moments where you kind of like, you see yourself from like, you know, back here. And you're just like, it's crazy. 
all I wanted to do was just find some like non-Christian friends, you know, that I could share with. And here I am in the military wearing this, praying with people I don't know and sharing the gospel with them. Crazy. People that had never been, well, I don't know. They'd never been to church, but they weren't going to church then. Crazy. When our hearts are shaped by God, when he's working in our lives, we end up doing stuff we'd never imagined. Crazy things for the sake of the lost, right? I'll tell more of that story or continue with that a little bit later on. But just to continue with our time here, that when we see verse 2, we end up doing crazy stuff when God's working in our hearts, right? God had been definitely working in Paul's hearts, so he says some crazy stuff. Here's what he says in verse 9, that when, when our hearts are really trained and, and tuned in to God, that, that our hearts really break for those who are not in Christ. And his heart breaks for them. He says in verse 3, he says, For I wish, right? He says, I'm not lying. I'm serious about all this. And he says, I, For I wish that I myself were accursed, accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? For I wish that I were cut off, that I were damned, that, that I had no place in heaven if my kinsmen, my fellow Israelites, my brothers and sisters would have a place in heaven. He's not the first person to say that in the Bible. If you go back to Exodus, we hear a great story of Moses who had been called to lead the people out of their slavery in Egypt and the plagues and the walking across the sea. And now they're in the, in, in the front of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And this is a time that God has is, is chosen to speak to the people. He's going to have them surround the mountain. He calls Moses up on the mountain. And then the, this crazy stuff happens. The mountain shakes, this terrible earthquake. You see lightning and thunder coming across the sky. The, the mountain fills with smoke. Fire comes down. There's loud trumpets from heaven that keep getting louder and louder. Can you imagine this? Are you picturing this with me? It's crazy. Then fire comes down from heaven, and that's God, and he comes and he speaks to Moses. And that's where he gives him the Ten Commandments, and he gives them the, the whole setup for the tabernacle and the priests and all the atonements and all this kind of stuff. He gives them, he lays that out. And in, in the Bible, it's just in this short, you know, couple chapters, but really this takes many, many days. And over these many days, the Israelites who are left at the foot of the mountain are just like, did I bet Moses said something stupid? I bet he's gone, right? The Lord probably smote him, you know? He's gone. And so they, they turn to the next person in, in command, which is Aaron, and they say, Aaron, you got to make us some gods that we can worship. And Aaron says, all right, give me your gold, you know, we'll put together something and he goes to work, and he brings out these golden calves, and he's like, here's your gods. And people come and worship. Well, Moses did not say anything stupid, or at least nothing that he got killed for, so he's still on the mountain, and God says to Moses, he's like, you got to go down there. They are in trouble. They are messing up big time. And Moses goes down. He's incensed. By the time he gets down there, he throws the Ten Commandments on the ground. They break he sees what they're doing, and this is like so, so classic. I mean, we kind of read the story, and we don't really think about it, but he, he took the, the golden calf, and he ground it up. He smashed it into like fine dust. He threw it in the water, and he's like, now drink it, everybody. 
just drink it. It's like something like a, a real like outraged dad would do when his kids just really push him over the edge and he snaps, right? I could see myself doing that, honestly, right? Um, so he's like, you know, yeah, you can drink this and you can, I won't say it, but just think where that goes 24 hours later, right? What, what they're doing. So amazing, right? And then he, they end up killing 3,000 people, these 3,000 people that are in rebellion against Moses. They're, they're dead, right? All that happens. The next day he goes up the mountain and the Lord is just outraged. And the Lord says, you know what? We're just going to start over. I'm just going to get rid of all of them, all of them, all million or more or whatever. We'll start again with you and we'll just do this again. And Moses says, yeah, the people sinned great sin. They made themselves gods out of gold. He says, but now if you will forgive their sin, just forgive them. But then he says, but if not, please blot out of your book, my name. Take me, just remove me from your blessings so that they will be saved. Moses said that. Paul said it. But here's the thing. These are, especially with Paul, these are his enemies. These are the people that beat him, that hurt him, that said things about him, that put him in jail. These are the people he's talking about. These were his enemies. And he said, these are the people, Lord, that I want you to save. That's crazy, isn't it? When you can think that, you might have thought that for your niece, your nephew, a brother, sister, your grandma, or something like that. Like, oh, I would do anything so that they would be saved, even if it means my own salvation, right? But would you say that for your enemy? The people that slander you, that have talked bad about you, who have gossiped or whatever, the, the people that are offensive, people that you just don't like, person with that big truck who always parks so close to you, you can't get your doors open out of your car, you get so mad, right? Like those people, would you give your salvation for those people, your enemies? Paul says, I would. So about five years ago, back at the military base, back in the same office that I was in, I'm sitting there and uh, a guy walks in and says, hey, I want to talk to you about starting a new ministry. And we love that, right? That's like awesome. Like when pastors hear that, you know, if you go up to Wilson and say, I want to start a new ministry, they'll go, like, oh, yeah, we love that. I said, well, tell me about your ministry. And he's like, this is a, a cool ministry. It's one of a kind. It's never been done in California before. This is like totally unique. We'll be like first on the map with this. And we're like, this sounds awesome. Whoa, I can't wait. What is it? He's like, this is a, it would be a group for uh, military atheists and free thinkers. All right, we want to start. It's an actual group called MAAF, Military Association of Atheists and Free Thinkers. Atheists and, and agnostics and all that. They, we said, we got a lot of them on our base and we want to, we want us, you know, to come together so we can talk about stuff, and we want, you know, this to come through the chaplain's office. We want you guys to support it and cheerlead us and all that. We're like, yeah, that'll never happen. No way. We are not going to be the very first group in California that has a military uh, atheist group as part of our chaplain team. So we, uh, we kind of stalled for a long time. We, we went up the chain, and, and our commander, who was a Christian, he's like, no way, not on my watch, right? Anyway, it went all the way up to the Pentagon, and the Pentagon came back and said, you got to do it. you got to do it. 
By the time we had a new commander, the new commander's not a Christian, he's like, yeah, do it, go do it. So reluctantly, we had to promote an atheist group as part of our ministry. Never really got excited about that. Um, until one day I said, you know, I'm going to go visit them. I'm going to go, I'm going to invite myself to them and, and jump in there. And, and I asked the leader, I'm like, well, would you mind if I come and just, I'll just be a fly on the wall. I'm just going to hang out and see, you know, see how things are going. And he's like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And, you know, it, it wasn't like this, like a bunch of like angry atheists, like burn the chaplain, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. It was eerie, weird, like I actually felt really comfortable, and here's why. First of all, all of them, this is another story, but all of them had a Christian background. All of them were raised in the church, Catholic church, Christian church, Methodist, whatever, all of them. So they kind of all had that background, but, but they, they were talking and kind of going around the circle. It's just like a small group. It was like bizarro small group, right? They're going around the circle like, how are you doing today? How was your week? Oh, it's good. And then one guy says, well, my kids were sick, and uh, my wife posted something on Facebook about the kids being sick, and she got all these posts, you know, from these Christians who kept quoting Bible verses and saying, I'll pray for you, and we'll watch over you. And, and he just said, he stopped, and he's like, how do you raise humanistic kids in a Christian society? not that crazy? Like, I've always heard the opposite. How do you raise Christian kids in a non-Christian society, right? And here they are. And, and then, even more bizarre, they get like, oh, there's a great book you got to read. It's Parenting Beyond Belief, right? These books on Amazon, um, all the, you know, raising humanistic kids. I have that book. I'm going to bring it to you. I'll bring it to you next week. And you, oh, you'll love it. And we can, maybe we can read those books and talk about parenting humanistic kids. Like, just like what I'd hear in a small group. <laughs> Crazy. I kind of liked it, though. So I went back a few months later. This time it was in October. It was a few years ago. In October. And here's the thing. In military circles, there's every person in the military has a ghost story. That everything in the military is haunted, right? <laughs> Buildings are haunted. Runways are haunted. Planes are built. I mean, everything is haunted. Even this last week, I was at base, and they were, I was with some people, and they were talking about this building that they were in, and that, you know, they'd shut the door and lock it, and then 20 minutes later, the door would be open and, and unlocked, and it happened all the time, and crazy things were happening. So here is this group of atheists talking about ghosts and, and how they're scared. I'll never go in that building, and this, this place really scared me because, you know, this happened. And, and I just stopped. I'm like, you guys, can I just make an observation? I'm like, you guys say that there's nothing supernatural in this world, that it's only, you know, the science and all that, yet you're scared of ghosts? Like, how do you reconcile that? And they're just, they kind of looked at me and like, yeah, that's a problem for our, our <laughs> we recognize that's an issue. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. It doesn't make sense. And it, it occurred to me, I'm like, that's my end. Like, I just made an in with them. Because if I can have them say that there's such things as ghosts, then they can say there's such thing as a holy ghost, couldn't they? Possibly. But it was during that time where these guys who you would think atheists and chaplains, Christian chaplains, shouldn't be, like, real close friends. But right now, they're my closest friends on the base. 
They're the ones I look forward to seeing. I go to lunch with them, and they, I pray for our meal, and they kind of bow their heads with me. Um, but we talk. We exchange birthday gifts, right? We'll send texts back and forth throughout the month. Um, I actually, I go find them. I go seek them out. When I see them, we'll, we'll talk. And, and it's, not, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm trying to, you know, use all my authority to get in there so that they'll become Christians. It's because they're friends. They're my friends. They're people that probably at one time were enemies, but they become friends. And I love it. And I love it. And that's what God can do, what he does do, what he does frequently. So you might, you know, you could ask, hey, Ethan, would you exchange your salvation for these guys? Would you exchange your salvation so that they could be in heaven? And you know what? It's a tough question to ask. I mean, really. But fortunately, I don't need to answer that because it's not my salvation to give. God gives that salvation. He's the one that seeks the lost, that saves the lost. But you better believe I'm going to do everything I can to bring them to a place where they would receive Jesus Christ. I pray for them every week. They even know that I pray for them. I tell them. And I'm looking for opportunities to share. And I pray that they would someday find salvation. This is what transformed hearts look like. My heart is still transforming. I'm still trying to figure out how to live a life uh, before the Lord and, and before friends and all that. But what my encouragement would be for you is to take that time, to be intentional throughout your life at being before the Lord, not just on Sunday morning, but through the week. Let him work in your life. Let him shape you. And he's going gonna, gonna to shape you. He's going to bring joy into your life and, and love and, and all that kind of stuff. You're going to be excited for the future that you have in heaven. You're going to be excited for that. But you're also going to see God doing some other things in your life. You may even feel that, that pressure, that weight, that sorrow, that anguish for those who don't know him. And then you're going to say some things, do some things, and some crazy things. But God is in this. And God is working, and he's doing the incredible stuff. He's, he's the master at taking tran- hearts and transforming them and doing the amazing. So right as we wrap this up, where are you with the Lord? I, I, first, I mean, yeah, we're a church. I, my assumption is that a lot of you are Christians, but I know not every person here has given their life to Jesus Christ. But I, I want, to, want you to know that, that you are surrounded with people that love you, that passionately love you, and would go to great lengths to see you receive Jesus Christ. We will do whatever we can. So if you are there and you do not know Jesus Christ, if you have not given his, your life to him, I, I, I pray that you would. I, I pray that you would, you would just give him your heart. Just say, Lord, take it. Take it. It's yours. If you want to talk to somebody, you got so many people here that would love to talk with you. For those of you who are Christians, you've given your life, continue. Continue to unfold your heart. Keep giving your heart to him. Let him continue to work to transform you. And pretty soon you're going to be saying some crazy things like Paul. You're going to find yourself in some new situations, and that's exciting. Life is exciting, right?
Life is exciting when God is moving, when God is transforming. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you would, you would do amazing things here at Renew. Lord, you have already done great things. You have already built this strong heritage. I pray that you would continue what you have been doing, that you would continue to work in these lives of all of us, Lord, that our lives, little by little, day by day, would be transformed by you, by your word, by your spirit. Lord, that we would experience what it means to live like in, in, this, in the power of the Holy Spirit, being found in you holy. Lord, that our hearts would not only yearn for the day that we're in heaven, but our hearts would long for those who are not there yet, and we would do whatever we can to bring them into the gospel. So, Father, take us as we are, our hearts broken, our hearts hurting, and do your work. Do your work. Thank you that there's nothing that can condemn us. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in your holy, powerful, wonderful, and healing name. Amen.